Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, We were so, so flattered and excited to get a call with a listener asking for updates and you her name asked, is Rachel, by the way. We, so we're going to call her Thank you, out. Rachel. Thank you. So <laughs> she we was concerned are... and checking on us. <laughs> <gasps> Very flattering. We did take a little bit of a, a break, but um, but we are back. We have so many exciting guests lined up. It's going to be the, the future is bright. And we love that you are asking about pre- prior guests and updates in their lives, which definitely made us go back to look at, see who might be willing to come back on. Um before we go into yeah. that, Jen, do you have any updates in your in your life? I mean, you're alive. That's one. So that's great. I, I mean, that is a huge update to always be alive. And it, and I'm going to clarify, I was not close to death, right? Like at any point. Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah, go with that first. Um, I'm just glad to be alive still. Um, no, I, I mean, I have a huge one. I know I talk a lot about um, Ryan being in the military and that's been our life for 24 who's, years. Who's Ryan? This is um, my first episode. He, my husband. Oh, Sorry, okay. my husband, Ryan. Sorry, thanks for um, And yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you've never met him before, so it's <laughs> totally fine. Um, but he is retiring from the military, effective September 1, after 24 years of military service. Whoa. So it's a very, I... very exciting update wow. and change in our life. Will you just move around for fun every few years, though? I mean, you know, the irony oh, is there's that a pause, we maybe we'll stay here for a few maybe. more years while Ash. We're like, we'll stay here for a few more years. And then I don't know, maybe we will move again. I'm like, wow. Uh, I mean, right I now. I thought that would be a no. I actually, I did not know that you would be moving. Right. So. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Too. No, we definitely like, I, we, we've said we're going to stay here. And then the other day we were like, I don't know, maybe we could go, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it, it it doesn't like fall outside of our conversation realm. How's that? Yeah. Uh, what about you? Do you have any no. updates? No, I mean, happy to be alive, healthy, oh. well, just continuing on the journey of life. Um, I have a birthday this week. That's exciting. Um, you know, the big yes. Four. By the time I, people listen to this, it will have been last week. That's so true. Probably, that's so, true. I feel like the know. symmetry of the number, like it feels like it's going to be a very lucky, um, lucky year. My, my children, for some reason, like okay. when it's like five, five, five or something, they say like make a wish. So I feel like it's like a, a birthday date that I could make a wish on. I guess it's you know maybe I don't know. Okay, feels lucky. Okay, um, uh, we but... do. I would say on our next guest, we actually have an update. Yeah. So it was total mm-hmm. happenstance. We have a quote update episode. It's not really an update episode, but it is one of our previous guests and we do get an update on his life and where his journey went. So we're very excited to talk about one of our subjects we're passionate about, which is Resolve and Advocacy Day. So yes. here we go. And wait, and Rachel and oh, others, stay, stay tuned because we have others prior guests we have at least yes. another that's lined up to come give an update and one that you specifically asked about Ooh. so i'm mean, we're excited for that yes okay now here we go welcome to the podcast we have two guests today lisa rosenthal and ryan ferrante um for loyal listeners or for those who want to go back you may remember ryan who was episode 81 a while back uh father attorney advocate and he has an exciting update to share. But we're going to hear from both of them, their personal stories, leading them to fertility advocacy, and talk about their role this year as co-chairs of the Volunteer Committee for Resolve, the National Infertility Association's Federal Advocacy Day, which is coming up in April. So, so excited to get into all of that. Um, let's just check everyone's here. Jen, Ryan, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I'm here. I, I have to say... This, this having Ryan on here, and I mean obviously Lisa as well, but tickles me beyond belief because Ryan and I met at both of our first advocacy day as a result of this podcast because Aww. he recognized my voice <gasps> when I spoke, and so he approached me and talked to me. That's exactly how it happened. Man, yeah. same, Jen. I, I was I, apparently I have a distinct voice, or I have a loud mouth, one of the two. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> or a very impactful message that resonated with me. Oh, oh yeah. yay. I love that. Well the said. Well said. Aww. So, no, we are really excited to have you both here. And I say, and I know Lisa professionally as well. And I'm very excited. We actually live pretty close to each other. Um, but we want to hear your update, Ryan. So what's the what's the haps? What has happened since you were last here? Well, and actually, to be fair, maybe oh, back sorry. up just a little bit in, oh, case sorry. Someone, in case someone hasn't stopped to listen to the episode. But if you don't mind mm, doing it. There. Do a quick overview. Go back Recap. for more. Sure. I, was, I actually was doing a search this morning on my um, email for the link um, to record this podcast. And I saw the old email from the last time that um, I was a guest here. And we recorded this right before the pandemic. And so mm-hmm. um, I think we recorded it in February or March, innocent right? Bef- yeah, innocent days. What do, we, what do we know then, right? So um, at that time, um, I had shared with you and your listeners that um, my wife and I, um, after many years, had finally resolved um, our infertility. We had um, had a son, uh, Eddie, who's who's now five. Um, um, we had. Uh, Eddie was carried by a gestational surrogate in Tallahassee, Florida. I'll let you go back and listen to that episode if you're interested in hearing that story. Um, but I can't ever um, skip the opportunity to talk about how wonderful um, our surrogate Stacy was. She was, and she yeah, she was very generous with um, the pregnancy, and she was um, a real gift to our family. And um, as a reproductive uh, collaborative reproduction attorney, um, you know you hope that all surrogacy arrangements and the way they did for us, which is um, with a successful outcome and, and um, in one in which the parties um, are um, uh, remain in contact and um, remain close. And, and I can honestly say that Stacy is um, not just the woman who carried our children, but she's also like a sister to both Lindsay and I. Mm-hmm. So, um, so at that time, um, right before, you know, March of 2020, when we last spoke, um, we had resolved and we had our family of three. Um, um, but I don't remember if I had shared that we were planning a second transfer with You didn't publicly. You okay. didn't publicly. You did with okay. us afterward. That's okay. why I was like, oh, but not publicly. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So we had been, um, you know, Lindsay and I, after we had, um, after Eddie was born, you know, for a very long time, we thought that that was it. That was our family. That's all we had ever hoped for. Um, and Stacy actually approached us um, uh, at, wow. at some point about within a year after Eddie's birth. And she said, listen, I want to do this again, um, but only under um, very uh specific conditions one of them being i'm only doing this for the two of you and so i will will, i will wait and so it was maybe a year and a half or two years later when we said what do you think stacy and she said she was all in um and we had a second transfer planned while i was talking to the two of you for april 2nd 2020 of course. So as you can, uh, <laughs> of course. Right. Yeah. So as you can imagine, um, that didn't happen. Um, every clinic had shut down at least temporarily. And it just had the April 2nd just happened to be in that two, three week time frame when everyone was just sort of taking a step back, trying to understand what all of this meant and how we all um, collaborative reproduction or assisted reproduction uh, processes were going to proceed. And so, um, we did the same. We took a step back and we rescheduled the transfer for the middle of July, um, in which uh, Lindsay and I went out to Colorado. We met Stacy and her husband there. Great state, um, love it. Had, yeah, <laughs> we had a we had a, uh, a successful transfer um, that um, resulted in, believe it or not, um, uh, a due date of April 2nd, 2021. So one year from the date of the original transfer, wow. here we were. Um, I'll fast forward. Josephine Elizabeth Ferrante was born on March 20th, 2021, mm. right in the middle of the pandemic. Oh. Um, and so we are a family of four. Um, I am still practicing collaborative reproduction law. And I tell people all the time that um, ask me about the type of law that 
um, Ellen and I both practice. Um, <laughs> what they ask, <laughs> how, what is that like um, for you as somebody who used to practice corporate tax law? Um, I tell them that um, I feel like I have become the type of lawyer that I always hoped I would become. And so that mm-hmm. has been a very rewarding um, almost unintended consequence of the experience that Lindsay and I had. And, um, and so I know we're going to talk about it in much greater detail, but, um, um, you know, the advocacy piece, um, is not just about the volunteer work. Um, you know, Ellen and I every day are advocating on behalf of our clients and it just seems like a, uh, a natural, um, uh, outgrowth from, um, the work that I do to, the work with resolve. And so I'm going to let you uh, talk to Lisa, but um, we have our, we have our happy ending. Um, We have two beautiful children and we have this wonderful relationship with our surrogate Stacy and her family in Florida. Um, And it's what I wish for all of my clients as well. I love that so much. And I love the pitch you made for the repair work of lawyers reputation. I feel like you (laughs) alone can try to show that there are at least a few good people. There are also attorneys out there. Um, So Lisa, do you want to go into your story? Yeah. Although I'm still reeling from listening to Ryan's story. I've never heard it. Yeah, I've never really heard it so succinctly. And listening to those dates, Ryan, it's it's just overwhelming when I think about really what what you've cre- how you've created your family and under what circumstances. Uh, bravo, it's amazing. Um, so my story story started a very very long time ago. I will say, um, I was very young and naive. I decided to have children and just assumed that it would happen immediately. Like Um, we all do, right? Like we we all do. Like we all do. Yes. And was sort of surprised. I, I, I was involved at that point with my best friend who was going through infertility and I was probably everybody's worst nightmare because every month I would say, oh, I think I'm pregnant this month. And meanwhile, she's in year two of trying. And every month no. I would say, oh, I think I'm pregnant this month. How she, yeah, we're still best friends, by the way, 29 years later. So oh. she did forgive me, but I was everybody's worst nightmare. And I uh, was lucky to have found Resolve very quickly, Resolve um National Infertility Association very quickly because she was involved with it, Pamela Madsen, my still my best friend, and started volunteering uh, with her. We were actually resolved in New York City. That was how long ago this was. And little did I know that I was going to be going through six and a half years of infertility. And I'd like to say that in some ways I can relate to almost every patient because in that six and a half years, I feel like I was every patient. I was the queen of I'll never do this. And then I'd be doing it. I did certain medications when they were off label and I was worried, not really that I would grow a tail, but a little that I might grow a tail, Um, you know, where we didn't know and where this was so new that we're talking about the first you know, 500 IVF babies in the country, you know, we're talking about, you know, 35 years ago, it's a really long time ago, very different. No social media, no sharing, lots of shame. Very, very challenging. And, um, you know, Resolve was my lifeline at that point. Um, I was thrilled to be volunteering at that point as well. I ended up having three beautiful children, one at a time. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it truly was um, a miracle. And it cha- this experience changed my entire life. There's no question. I have no idea what I would be doing otherwise. Um, I was a teacher at the time. I was teaching the New York City school system, and I'm not teaching anymore. I've been a patient advocate now for 35 years and work with the loom fertility, which I just love and work strictly as a patient advocate. It's actually my job title, but my passion was 
ignited by all the misjustices that I perceived. It was apparent to me I was so lucky in what I perceived as my unluckiness, okay? I was young, which which helped. I had health insurance, that helped. I had some financial resources, that helped. I spoke English, that helped. I mean, can you imagine trying to navigate this in the late 80s, speaking Portuguese or Swahili? I mean, it would have been a nightmare, a, a total nightmare. Um, so my focus was on building my family, but even from the very beginner beginning, because for me, big picture, I'm a big picture person. I looked and I saw what was going on around me. And I thought, this is kind of crazy. Like this is a medical disease. I was 26. I was young. There was a problem and there was no health insurance coverage. And I was just out there with, with no health insurance. And you know, we started advocating in New York and we helped get a bill passed in New York that covered IUIs, but didn't cover IVF. And luckily, like 22 years later, I think, uh, just a few years ago, successfully added IVF to the New York state coverage. But um, I really wanted everyone to have a better experience. I wanted everyone to have the access to medical treatment for a medical disease. And I wanted people to have tax relief for, for adoption, which is far from inexpensive. And I wanted everyone who served in our armed forces to have coverage. It seemed amazing to me that that didn't happen. So, you know, I also wanted the children that I was blessed to bring into this world to understand just how close they were to never being born. And... <clears throat> I run peer support groups, and one of the most poignant peer support groups that I run is on parenting after infertility. And it's amazing how, I, I don't want to call it post-traumatic stress, although that's what it kind of feels like. It's amazing how our infertility, for some people, it's in their rearview mirror. They never think of it again. They have their kids. They go merrily on their way. But at least for all four people in this conversation, not a true thing, right? And for a lot of us, not a true thing. And it took a very long time to really recover from sort of the effects of uh, IVF and all of the medical treatments that I went through and all of the disappointments and the per pregnancy losses, which were heartbreaking. You know, it's, it's, I, you can't really say enough about how impactful infertility is to one's life. I can say from my story that it it literally changed my life, my career, my focus, my passion, what I talk about, what I care about. Um, and I've been lucky enough um, for the last 16 years just about to work with Illum Fertility, which gives me the opportunity to do what I call internal and external advocacy. I speak to patients every single day from all across the country. It doesn't matter if they're a patient of, of Illum Fertilities or not. And I'm so lucky because I hear the stories and I wish I could say, I'm sorry, but I wish I could say the stories are really different than they were 35 years ago. But truthfully, they're yeah. not. We still yeah. have health yeah. insurance. And, you know, we only have fertility coverage in 19 states. We don't have uh, good coverage. Even that is limited. Yeah. And even that is, yes, thank you. Very limited, right? Uh, our, our military folks still don't have coverage, even after they've literally put their lives at risk for this country. <clears throat> it's kind of horrifying that it so much hasn't changed. But luckily, many, many things have changed, including a podcast like this, where I get to come and tell you, you know, I still look at my children, they're 29, 27, and 25. I still look at them and say, they were almost not here. They were literally almost not here. If I had just, you know, not been able to go that extra mile. And I just want to make sure, for me, I just want to make sure that nobody has to stop trying to build their their family because they don't have resources if they don't have medical coverage so that's kind of my story 
That's right. And that, that brings us and loops us really nicely around to uh, talking about results. Like I, I have to say, and I, again, I know Lisa, you and I have talked a, a ton about other stuff, but one, I want to throw out there that Lisa is an amazing advocate for the LGBTQ community as well. Mm-hmm. And huge, huge fighter and proponent for also making sure that there's equality um, for people to pursue their families, no matter who they love and who they are married to or whether they love anybody or are married to anybody at all. <laughs> um, and also I, the stuff you said about parenting, oh my God, like the PTSD after infertility, it's real. Like, <laughs> very, very real. It's, it's so real. And, you know, in terms of the LGBTQ community, right, the, kinetic, the, the parentage acts that are going, mm-hmm. you know, that are really spreading all over this country is an amazing thing and helping get that passed in Connecticut was very impactful as was the fertility preservation law in Connecticut because we were the first ones who passed one with Melissa's law um yeah Yeah. all right so that leads us back you guys both you know have obviously the the common theme here that we are coming together to talk about I feel like I'm like officiating a wedding um is resolve so for those that don't know about Resolve. Ryan, Lisa, I don't know who wants to take the lead on this. Um, tell us kind of what Resolve is. Let's We're going to go Resolve 101 for people who, listeners who might not know what they are, who they are. I'm happy, I am happy to answer that question. First of all, I have to say, um, you know, uh, Lisa and I also met at that same uh, advocacy day ah. in Washington for the first time. Um, she may not remember it as, as, um, as, um, as succinctly as I do, but um, I do remember meeting her. And, and, and since then, it's very clear if you've just listened to her for the last few minutes, um, why I am so inspired by her every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's another um, element to this that um, w- was unique to um, what made me uh, gravitate towards Lisa, which was um, my mother um, has been practicing yoga teaching yoga since 1980, (laughs) 1980, for 43 years, my mother has been teaching yoga. And so when I met Lisa, I met somebody else who has sort of incorporated yoga into um, the therapies that she is using to reach out to people experiencing infertility. So it was a, um, it was a a really important thing for me when I first met Lisa um, to recognize and acknowledge that. I love that. Um, way, I love that reminder, Ryan, because <laughs> my husband says that my doing yoga during my infertility saved his life, not just my life, but his <laughs> life. So thank you. I, I completely, I forgot about that. I have to meet your mother one day, Ryan. I really do. <laughs> yeah. She's an amazing woman. Um, but by the way, also having just heard Lisa, is there any person you'd rather have advocating on your behalf than Lisa Rosenthal. Um, uh, no. <laughs> she does yeah, a phenom- phenomenal job in these meetings. We'll, we'll talk about speaking truth to power, I'm sure, in the rest of this conversation, but nobody does it better than her. Um, resolve. Um, so I had mentioned in our previous conversation that, that Resolve was um, so meaningful to my wife, Lindsay, and I um, when we were experiencing fertility, just as um, uh, an organization that we could lean on um, to help us answer questions about where do we turn, who do we talk to, how do we afford this. Um, and so um, my introduction to them was in that capacity. But then once um, uh, I had um, said I need to do something more, um, that was um, the volunteer work, which is what Resolve depends upon. Resolve is the National Infertility Association. It's a nonprofit organization. Their focus is on promoting reproductive health, and these people, they work so tirelessly to ensure uh, equal access to all family building options, no matter who you are, for men, for women, um, who are experiencing fertility or other reproductive barriers. Um, um, They're very good at reminding anyone who will listen and Lisa just touched on this, that infertility is a disease. The um, American Medical Association and the World Health Organization have recognized infertility as a disease. And it, it affects 
one in every eight couples. That is a very common theme that you're going to hear from anybody who is affiliated with Resolve. This affects one in eight people. Think about your circles. Think about your friends. Think about your communities. One in eight of those people have experienced some challenge to have a family. Okay, That is um, an enormous number to represent when you extrapolate that across the country. Okay, Absolutely. Um, and, and so when you think about how many people are affected by infertility every year? Here's what you need to know. There are 13 full-time staff at Resolve. That's it, 13. Mm -hmm. So that's why the dependency upon the volunteer work is so critical for them. They rely on the commitment of volunteers like all four people in this conversation and many others to sort of implement their really ambitious ideas um, on behalf of that very large population experiencing those barriers. I know Lisa's trying to pop in here for us too. <laughs> so well said, Ryan, really beautifully said. Um, I, I'm going to pop in and talk about another aspect of it, or really elaborating um, on what Ryan said. When we talk to our legislators, we can only speak to our legislators, actually, if there's a constituent who is involved, who, who votes in that legislator's uh, district or state. So when we have a state, I won't pick on anybody's state this year or right now. So if you have a state that we, where we don't have an advocate, um, Jen and Ellen, then we can't advocate in that state. So when we're missing a state, that state is not getting an any advocacy. Typically, that's a state that doesn't have any insurance coverage at all. So it, it is imperative that we get advocates. And the thing about advocacy is that there are some logistical pieces of it, right? So it's April 25th. Forgive me. I don't know if Ryan said that. It's April 25th this year. It is during National Infertility Awareness Week, which is the first time. And it's such a beautiful um, a synergy to have these two things happening at the same time. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the, like, what does it do for you as an advocate? So and, let's yes, back up um, a little yeah. bit, Lisa. And mm -hmm. I will say, let me go back around because I think what, what we have, we kind of skipped. And I think because we all know it, like shorthand in our brain, because the four of us are also involved in Advocacy Day is, you know, what is, let's talk through the big picture of like, what is yeah. Advocacy Day so that people who are interested, their, you know, curiosity is a little bit piqued, you know, like, what is it? What does it involve? What do people have to do? And I mean, some of it for like a nuts and bolts, like, hey, you set aside a day and we're going to talk to your legislators and things like that. Because for some, I think it gets really overwhelming. People would be like, I, I, I can't go to Congress. I can't. I mean, obviously, Ryan and I met in person in D.C., but logistically, Resolve has made it very easy for people to advocate from anywhere now. So go back, talk about what Advocacy Day is, and then we'll talk about impact as well going forward. I just want to add on that point that it's so, that Resolve does such a good job that anyone can do this. Like you don't have to have mm -hmm. any experience. You don't have to Correct. work in any field. Like anyone, absolutely anyone can step in and be an advocate. Okay. I love let's, that. Let's address, so let's, federal, let's address. So federal Advocacy Day is an amazing thing. Ryan, do, do you want to jump in or do you want, or can I go ahead? I just, well, I, I, I just wanted to um, make a comment about what Ellen just said about how Resolve empowers advocates as it relates to Advocacy Day. Um, um, because I, this is the question I get all the time. You're, I'm gonna, uh, you're gonna talk about what Advocacy Day is, um, but what I want to address is a question that I get all the time. You know, I will talk about Advocacy Day with someone and they will say, yeah, but I've never done that before and I don't know how to do it and I'm too scared to do it. And are we really meeting with members of Congress? That seems very intimidating. Um, my answer to them is that there is no better place to start as an advocate than at Resolve's Federal Advocacy Day. Here's why. You are never going to go into a meeting alone, right? You don't have to speak if you don't want to. Participating is determined by you. You create the way you want to advocate, whether it's just being there to support someone, to tell someone else's story, or to tell your own story. So now that we've laid that foundation, I don't want there to be any 
um, misconceptions about what um, who can participate anyone who has been impacted by infertility whether it's a family member um, personal experience anything can participate a professional as well a professional yeah of course professionals right and that, <laughs> right and so that's yeah. sort of my my tandem role now when i when i have these conversations um i do tell members of congress that yes my wife and i experienced infertility but guess what i hear these stories every day all day long yep. and here's what they are telling me so yeah. lisa i'll let you um address what advocacy day is and how it works and i'll um, i'll jump in that. wherever you need me to okay i love that so advocacy day is on april 25th this year national infertility awareness week which is a wonderful wonderful time to be having it and it's one day of the year where there's months and months of preparation beforehand typically an advocate somebody will decide you know i'd like to maybe speak to my legislator. So Advocacy Day this year is virtual, which makes it incredibly accessible. So you know what? There's no travel issues. Nobody has to fly in from Hawaii or Alaska. Nobody has to get to Washington. And some of us miss it in person. I may have worn my pajama bottoms last year. Uh, you for may, my have, may have, no, may have. I, I may guarantee, have. I guarantee you that I did. <laughs> Uh-huh, I did, and they, I will just say that they, yeah. So, yes, we, you can wear your pajamas, you can be at home, you can be in your office. Uh, typically, an advocate will take the day off because it is rather, um, it's a bustling day. And what happens is, and again, this it couldn't be simpler, applying to be an advocate will take all of like two or three minutes, you fill out an application and we and then resolve and our incredibly hardworking subcommittee and co-leads and and uh, subcommittee members will take it from there. So the one of the steps is that um, that there are meetings set up with every legislator for whom we have a constituent. A constituent is simply somebody who can vote in a district and in a state. So for instance, in Connecticut, we have five congressional districts. So I have two states, two senators that I can vote for and one um, person from the House of Representatives. And by the way, you know, if I don't sound too intelligent on this part, forgive me. And so as a constituent, when I sign up to vote in Connecticut, I would be able to go see Johanna Hayes and I would be able to go and see Senator Blumenthal and Senator Murphy. Those are the three meetings that could be set up. If there is no person from Connecticut, none of those meetings happen. And nobody gets to express what infertility, fertility treatment, fertility coverage, adoption, um, military coverage, nobody gets to express to those legislators how important these issues are to them. And I wanna be clear, you know, I want to say this in a gentle way. We hire them. We vote for them. They're And they're normal, regular people. They're interested in what we're saying. Most men, Much of the time, we don't speak with the legislator directly. Much of the time, we will speak to somebody in their office who has the ear of their boss. They speak directly. They're usually extremely attentive. They take notes. They get back to us. We follow through. Um, They're very, very kind, I will just say, from experience. And <laughs> uh, if you meet with them year over year, they almost always remember, too, which exactly. I find really They're amazing. Yeah, They truly are amazing. It's really a joy. And what I find, um, having been a state captain under Ryan, which was a so such a lucky, good experience, was that uh, you're People are typically super nervous for the first meeting and typically you'll maybe have two or three, sometimes five, maybe sometimes six meetings in one day. You're nervous for the first one. And by the end of the day, by the second one, you're feeling much more comfortable because they're just human beings. You're bringing something of interest to your legislator. They want to hear about it. They want to have your vote. That's how they stay in office is by having your vote. And very often, right? If we're talking about one in six or one in eight people being affected by problems with family building, they have their own stories or they know somebody who's had a story. Right. So this is a very relatable topic. And having children, 
having a, building a family is a very relatable topic. Most people identify building their family as one. They are of pro family. family. Everyone is pro family, right? right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Can you speak to the political element? Because I feel like, you know, you're meeting with Republicans, you're meeting with Democrats, and the advocate may or may not have their own strong political feelings. How does that play into it? I would love well, to answer this question. Oh, good. Go, go ahead, mind. Ryan. I'll tag on after you. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to your point, Ellen, I, you know, I'm in Chicago. I'm a, I'm a voter in Chicago. And um, and so obviously the Illinois delegation has a very welcoming audience. In fact, what we've seen recently is legislation intro introduced by Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois that really focuses on a lot of the issues that are important to us. Okay. And so um, as someone who um, um, has that very welcoming audience and has been doing this for um, maybe a little bit longer than some other advocates, um, I raise my hand and say, put me in another meeting, put me in that meeting in Oklahoma. Um, I won't tell them that I'm not a constituent there, but I'd love to just hear what the. But you'll go uh, with a constituent from there. With you have a, a constituent for the meeting. Yes. You have to have a constituent. And so um, I, I will say that you will find some very, very surprising responses when you meet with um, a, a congressperson or a senator from one political party or another where you just didn't expect to get that response. So, for example, I went into a meeting um, where I did not expect it to be a very welcoming audience. And um, this congressman stopped me in the middle of me telling my story. And he said, you know what, Ryan, um, I am so glad that you have shared this story with me. And um, it's very meaningful to me because, believe it or not, my wife and I only have our family because of the same exact challenges that you over, overcame, we overcame ourselves. Yeah, wow. And so this is very, very important to me. I promise I will give a consideration. Um, and so in the most unlikely places, I think you're going to find, even with staffers too, some staffers, I've been in meetings where a mm -hmm. staffer has said who had got emotional because she was going through it at that very moment. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so it is, um, you never know how your story will impact the people who make decisions on our behalf. Yeah. And, so, and I do, I want to pull something from that really quick and just make sure yeah. that we highlight this, that I, I think a lot of people get very overwhelmed by the idea of this. I've got to go talk to Congress about bills and things like that. The focus of Advocacy Day is telling your story to these legislators That's and it. making sure so you don't have to have policy experience or have advocacy experience you have to have a willingness to either be there and be support exactly like you said you don't have to speak or be willing to tell your short story and share your story because that's the whole point is we want people legislators to see that their constituents that these are people real people who are impacted by these bills and that's as perfect a, as a quick as a yeah. quick example of how this really is such a bipartisan issue, I will say in Colorado, we advocated for the Colorado Building Families Act, which was to have insurance coverage for fertility. And we went into our very first House hearing and we were told by the lobbyists, you know, we think we have the votes to get through this committee, but it's going to be close. It's probably going to be on party lines. And advocate after advocate, you know, people telling their stories of moving out of their house and living in their parents' basement so they could afford fertility treatment. Other people telling how their parents were going to retire, but didn't retire so they could help contribute to them going through fertility treatment, like all these really incredibly moving stories. And at the end of the hearing, it was a unanimous vote in favor that we did not have going into it, which was really incredible and moving. And one of the legislators was like tearing up talking about how the reason he has grandkids is because of fertility treatments. I love that story, Ellen. I love that. And it, it's such a great emphasis to put that this is a bipartisan issue because it's pro-family. And I don't know any politician who's going to stand up and say, I'm against creating families, building families. I mean, there's nobody out there who does that. 
and who's willing to say that. And I love also hearing we respect all manners of advocacy. It may be just that you show up for the meeting so that somebody like Ryan can come in and talk. Sometimes people aren't ready to talk yet. Sometimes people just can say, you know what? I can be on Zoom, I can say hello, and that's all I can do. But by being present, we can schedule that meeting and we can speak. Sometimes people aren't ready for it, and it, that's valuable as well. Um, I also and wanted to say, oh, mm, oh, I was going to say, I, I know sometimes people aren't even sure in the moment. And I, I like, I've experienced that in times is that I, I'm generally part of really small delegations because, you know, uh, we always laugh that I'm the weirdo who votes in New Mexico, even though I don't live there. But, <laughs> you know, I have the um, the people, I've had people come in and say, I'm not really sure I'm going to be comfortable speaking in that moment. And we came up with a signal between us so that we knew whether or not she was going to be okay with speaking in that moment or whether she was going to become overwhelmed and so that we could make that decision. Uh, Again, going back to like the kind of like people being overwhelmed, you're people have meet about this beforehand. It's not like you just get thrown into this. So you meet with your delegation, you have conversations with a, a state captain who is going to help you and be there to guide through the process. Nobody is ever alone through this. And I love I'm just that because say, just before anyone has the wrong mm -hmm. impression. Jen votes in New Mexico out of military residency. She yes, sorry. Voting I'm not. I don't just randomly it's, vote. It's up and up. Uh, yes, I, we are yeah. New Mexico residents, even though I live in Connecticut. Yes. Yes, we're lucky. <laughs> military you know, Residency Relief Act. <laughs> that leads us into the sense of community. Like one of the things that I'd like to sort of focus on is as an advocate, what does this do for you? Right. I was scared. I was so scared. I mean, when I started this, I'll just be really honest. I didn't even know how many congressional districts there were in Connecticut. I had no idea. Now I know that there are five, but that's something I'm proud of because I didn't know. And a lot of people don't know. You ask somebody, well, who's your representative? They don't know. And that's totally okay. But coming back to the sense of community, right? I mean, Groucho Marx said something I fundamentally disagree with, which is I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. You know, I love this community and will do anything I can to help support the efforts individually, legislatively, nationally, internationally. I just will. And being part of a group of people and being part of this community is empowering. That's a word that we hear. You know, we we always do a debriefing after advocacy day. And what do we hear from from advocates over and over again? You know, Ryan is empowered, empowered, empowered. Right? I was scared. I went to a meeting. I didn't say one word. It was still empowering. I went to a meeting and I I was able to share my story and I cried through the whole thing. Still empowering. You know how you show up is um, is really important. And with the status of reproductive rights in this country at this point, it's more important than ever, you know, to show up, mm, to write the letter, to tell you, <laughs> yeah, to, you know, to write. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right now we, we have a, you know, we can, we have an incredible opportunity. It's so much more important this year, I think, than any year. That, that I've been involved in infertility, it is so much more important this year because we need to tell our legislators, our lawmakers, what is important to us. And if you're in a, sometimes you'll be in a group like New York where we get a lot of advocates and there are, maybe there are 30 people's, people in that meeting and 25 of them don't talk. That's still what we need, right? We need to show that force. We need to write the letters. We need to tell the stories. We need to be effective. We need to be present. We need to be counted. I mean, every built family that's built changes lives, right? It changes the lives yeah. of the people who have now become parents, but it changes the lives of their extended families who've become grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and it just continues from there. So th this is something that is, to me, I always talk about it being personal and universal, because we're each human beings with our own distinct histories and our own personal stories. And when we share them with each other privately and publicly, we amplify that conversation. It extends our stories so that, in fact, we're representing those who are experiencing infertility but aren't 
able in that moment to speak about it or get treatment about it. So that Absolutely. I'll get off my soapbox, but no, it, it's, it, it's a wonderful I, soapbox to be on. Yeah, no. And I, do you want to Ryan go loop back to what I was talking about or what I alluded to talking about just a little tiny bit about kind of efforts, especially surrounding the Dobbs decision? Of course, I'd be, I'd love to. Um, there's just a, a couple of things that I do want to emphasize because we've, we've talked a little bit about sharing your story. And I, I, I do just want to talk very quickly about some of, you know, the mechanics about how that happens, right? Um, you sign up as an advocate. This, by the way, Resolve partners with the American Society for Reproductive Medicine to put this event on. So there are an enormous number of resources that become available to advocates about, um, you know, political positions and voting records and historically how successful or unsuccessful we may have been in um, sort of pursuing this support from legislators. So this is a one day virtual event. Um, you're going to be part of a larger state delegation. I want to reemphasize that. And also that no one goes to a meeting alone. Um, there's an experienced advocate in every single, what I see often is a lot of people who come because they just want to be there to support. They don't necessarily want to share their story, but I can tell you if they have a story to tell and they come one year, they're coming back the next year. You guys used um, a lot of words to describe the way it feels to advocate on advocacy day. Mine was exhilarating. I wanted to do it again the next day, the first time I did it. Um, and I think that a lot of people find that to be the case just because it is something that, um, you know, you put so much of your heart and soul into, and it is extremely, extremely rewarding. Okay. Now to your question, Jen, about Dobbs, um, you know, this is a different year. Okay. The, um, the, 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 the draft opinion came out two weeks before advocacy day last year. So that sort of threw us for a loop. Um, but it wasn't something that we could address because it was a, um, it was a, yeah, draft. it wasn't a real, yeah. it wasn't, it was a draft. Yeah. <laughs> it was a draft. And so, um, the way I have viewed this over the last year or so is that, um, and I know that so many other advocates feel this is that in too many consecutive battles for reproductive rights, it really feels like, and it should feel like, that we're moving in the wrong direction. Okay. In so many ways, advocacy day and advocating at the state level, which we can have another conversation about another time, but federal advocacy day is the pushing back. This is it. This is how you push back. Okay. Um, we may not resolve sort of the bigger problems um, that we are facing that, that really trouble us, but we will continue to fight like hell. Um, the advocates that have already raised their hands and those that will in the future, um, I think of them as one thing. They are absolutely necessary. They are necessary to the battle that we face to tell people how they can help us. And that's one thing I want to tie back to the stories is that um, one thing that Lisa and I have always emphasized um, is for as long as we've been doing this, at least in a leadership position, is that we need to take the clumsy part out of the meetings. We don't want people to be policy experts. We want people to tell their stories. And so what I have always told people is simplify the approach to these meetings. Answer two questions to yourself. If you can answer these two questions, you have accomplished what you set out to do in these meetings. Number one, why are you there? Okay, tell them why you are there. That's your story. And then number two, how can you help us? And these people are the ones, these decision makers are the ones that can help us. And so we will arm advocates with the tools to sort of wrap up their story in a way that says, you are the one that holds all the power here and we really need your help. Okay. Most of, of, of these advocates, if not all of them, have been broken, um, but they've found that speaking truth to the quite literally the most powerful people in the world was a way to heal. Um, I found advocacy um, for myself to be as healing as any other formal or informal therapy that, you know, I went to individually or with Lindsay or um, in some other way. Um, the, the, uh, there's a lot of grief, right, that comes with experiencing infertility. And 
um, the grief yeah. that Lindsay and I confronted as a couple um, was a, a real opportunity to grow. Um, we had no choice but to look at it that way, um, which is obviously much easier to say now on the other side of it. But I invite anyone who is willing to share their story with Congress to try it. And I can promise that that story, at the very least, just might help you to tell. Um, but it will certainly help so many others. Um, Absolutely. In the, you're right. Because, um, I, I, Jen, I know that we've talked about that before. And in the strangest possible um, consequence of, of, of becoming an advocate, um, it, it really does sound very uh, strange to say. I've never been more proud to be a part of a group dealing with mm -hmm. disease um, because of the acts of courage that I, you know, and Lisa and, and you and Ellen um, get to witness. Um, these are people who know that change is constant and it's coming and they want to be a part of it. And so um, as, as far as the Dobbs decision goes, I just want to tie this back to Resolve as, a, as an organization. Resolve, um, in response to the Dobbs decision, launched a campaign um, called Fight for Families. Um, the Resolve community is committed um, to educating lawmakers, and that's what Advocacy Day is about, by telling your story, um, and also about the ways that they can help their constituents by making access to care necessary to have a family easier, not harder, right? Adding hardship on top of hardship is, is what, you know, most of these advocates look at and say, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Um, and, and just as important, Resolve is um, what I've viewed as, since I um, have been exposed to them as a sort of a watchdog for the infertility community, down to the state level where they have their eyes on, you know, blocking any efforts to pass harmful legislation. Um, I, I, I don't know if you guys have had a, a personhood bill podcast yet, probably should, um, Ooh. but <laughs> um, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but as far as Dobbs goes, I, you know, this may be a controversial opinion, but I, I see the court's decision really as an opportunity, um, um, you know, to sort of look back and say, see, we told you that there were to be consequences to this, uh, but you wouldn't listen. Um, there's, these are sort of ir the way I view them as irresponsible decisions um, that sort of echo until they have these unintended consequences that make people realize that, you know what, wait a second, we don't want to take away your only chance at having a family, right, by making these decisions. Um, but that's the very challenge that um, the family building community now finds itself fighting in response to Dobbs. So we're sort of pushing things back up, um, um, you know, kind of creating a, a higher floor for um, tolerance for these decisions. Um, and so um, this should be easy to have a family. We shouldn't be making it harder. But unfortunately, it's not easy. Um, and every one of these advocates are... Um, 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 they may come this year. They may come next year. We're going to keep coming back year after year after year. And these legislators are going to say, oh, here they come again. Um, day after day at the federal level, at the local level, we're going to keep coming back until we uh, uh, see the change that we're demanding. So um, I think it is uh, that the Dobbs decision more than anything else may have inspired more people to participate. And we certainly welcome them. And I think I, I just want to add, I think it's also inspired our legislators, Ryan. You know, uh, Rosa DeLauro is one of the legislators that is, has been has introduced bills for with Resolve uh, for the past several years. And she's kind of, she's a, a representative from the state of Connecticut, but she is kind of amazing. And I I want to just share that. Um, showing up to, I, I showed up to, this is kind of a funny story, which coming on the heels of Dobbs, maybe the lightness we need, or maybe not so funny, you'll decide. I remember going into her office at the end of a day that we were in person, and I think it was 4.30 and we were done. And I came into her office, I sat down, I don't think you can do this anymore, but I sat down, I looked at her, her um, legislative aide and I said, I'm not, I know she's here and I'm not leaving till she comes out. 
And if you don't know Rosa DeLauro, she either has turquoise hair or she has pink hair or she has purple hair, but she never has, those are the three colors. She comes out with her hands on her, on her hips and says, really, you're refusing to leave my office? And I got a big hug from her. But, you know, <laughs> when we, I really love how Ryan put that, you know, our legislators are not our enemies. They, they hopefully are our friends. And when it, when it comes to reproductive rights and reproductive health and reproductive care, you know, these are all wrapped up, but on advocacy day, it is our responsibility to tell our stories, which is wonderful. And also to stick to the issues that resolve outlines for us. That is a really important message, right? So you may have an advocate may have a tremendous interest in something else or some other version of what, bills are being introduced that's not the day to talk to your legislator about it and this we you know there's a lot of training that goes in there's a lot of hand holding one of my biggest joys was being a state captain and being able to shepherd a group of people through their first experiences and they were so nervous ryan i don't know if you ever realized how many emails oh my gosh i mean i was sending out i mean it was unbelievable how many emails you're okay. You can do this. I'm right there. You don't have to say one word. And then those would be the same people who would show up and be able to speak. And I do want to share too, at least last year, how many people, I think two Ryan, who gave birth within two or three days of advocacy day, and they showed up. It was virtual. And I just want to address that for a minute, if you don't mind, that, um, You know, you might think that you need to be done with your um, infertility or fertility journey to be an advocate, that you might need to be past it on the other side of it. And I have to say that some of the most effective advocates were still in the midst of it and sort of still in the agony of not knowing how their story might turn out. And, and I'm pa- actually going to throw that a little differently, Lisa. Yes, is please. That also... If you have resolved your family building journey, it's okay to be part of resolve. I actually had a very long conversation with Barb Kalura very early on and that I felt guilty being there because I had my family. And she said, you are resolved, it's okay, but you can still fight the fight for those who come come along too. So both sides, all are welcome. Absolutely, because honestly, right, if you are able to give back to a community that you were part of and that you want to help and support because you have resolved your journey, that is so wonderful. And if you're in the middle of it and you're in that fiery sort of uh, passion, also wonderful. wonderful. And, you know, it's interesting that because fertility and family building can be so exhausting right? It's exhausting in so many ways. It's exhausting emotionally. It's exhausting financially. Even in states where there is really good coverage, there's a lot of finance, financial resources that get used. It can be exhausting in terms of time resources. And so many people find that when they do advocacy, that it actually energizes them. It doesn't add to their exhaustion. Ryan said it perfectly, right? He was excited at the end of the day to do it again next year. Energizing. Energizing, yeah. right? And I, I have the same the same feeling is that like as soon as, and by the way, we have a big follow-through committee because mm-hmm. we really, it, the emphasis has to be, you didn't even mention this, Ryan, so I'm going to do it. So <laughs> um, my emphasis for a long time has been follow-through. So we have Advocacy Day, and we need to look at Advocacy Day as the beginning. So we have these meetings, we introduce to our legislators and to each other what's going on, and then the follow-through, because we want to raise awareness, but we also want to pass bills. We also want to change how people experience fertility and family building in this country. We want to make sure that if you're one of the 31 states that has zero coverage, that that doesn't continue. So so there's an interplay of awareness and action. And that follow-through committee, we're going to we really want to make that very robust this year. So I want to quickly, because I know we've, we've gone so, I mean, we try to keep it a certain kind of time-ish arbitrarily. So I want to go quick and touch one last thing. Talk, we, we mentioned National Infertility Awareness Week. 
if y'all don't mind talking a little bit about what that is. And again, I, I know you mentioned it is so important that it's that week, but kind of why that's important that it's in that week. Uh, I'm happy to answer that. There's a, there's um, in the past we had um, always had or resolve had always sort of set up these uh, two separate events. There's advocacy day and there's national infertility awareness week and much credit to Lisa. She pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and said, We've got to bring Advocacy Day into the fold during National Infertility Awareness Week. Historically, um, National Infertility Awareness Week, um, it started in 1989. Um, and it's, it's, the, the purpose of it is right there in the name. It's an opportunity for the infertility community to sort of stand arm in arm um, and really shout collectively and raise awareness about a disease. I'm going to keep emphasizing that. It's a disease that impacts one in eight couples. Um, um, I've always thought of it as something sort of much more meaningful. You know, infertility has historically, and I know Lisa touched on this earlier, um, it's been a difficult conversation to have um, because there are myths and misunderstandings about the issue. And on top of all that, um, there is this overwhelming sense of isolation when it comes to infertility. So NIAW, which shorthand for the National Infertility Awareness Week, um, has been designated um, as the time for the community to share their stories about infertility. So it only made sense that we brought Advocacy Day into that same fold. Um, the willingness um, to share the story will um, sort of impact um, public understanding because we're not just, now we're not just talking about meetings with lawmakers, but we're talking about social media um, efforts and um, other events that Resolve has planned for the week. Um, and I can tag on to that, right? Because that's please. that's also Ryan when we do the proclamations, right? So you can yeah. actually very easily petition a city, a state, a town to declare National Infertility Awareness Week. National Infertility Awareness Week. So it's a wonderful opportunity. There are a lot of different vehicles that got you that get used during during NIAW. And the fact that it was so close to Advocacy Day made it a natural thing to fold into. So I am, I was a dog like a, with a bone, huh, Ryan, about trying to coordinate that. Well, for the professional community, Ellen and, and um, Jen, it just sort of made sense, right? To have these two huge efforts, six weeks apart, made it actually challenging to participate in both. And now, no, no choice has to be made. You're participating in both by by participating in advocacy day. But there are other a lot of other ways that that we honor that week, um, other than just advocacy day. I actually love the proclamation thing. Like the first time I got my proclamation for New Mexico was probably one of the most exciting things I'd ever like. I, I don't like even like okay. going and advocating like that was exciting. It was so much fun to be like. I did this. I got a proclamation through in the state. You know, it was really fun. I I have no doubt. I I was so disappointed. I will just say, and I'm I'm trying again this year, and we just keep trying. But it is exciting, you know, to be able to see that you can make a difference is really what advocacy is about, right? It is, you know, fertility treatment and infertility can be so disempowering, as Ryan said before, feeling broken, feeling less than, feeling like you know, powerless, that when you step into an advocacy role, even if you step into it very quietly, it's very empowering, it's very energizing, it's it's exciting. Absolutely. I, you guys are amazing. And you have no idea how much we appreciate you being here or sharing your stories, talking to us about advocacy day. I know I don't think we have dates yet for when things open up for people to enroll. So I'm going to just leave that silent on the, on this part, but oh, Ellen can, and I are going to register oh. now for, Advocacy Oh, can you actually register now? Yes. Oh, it is open now. Yay. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. And registration is open. I won't leave it silent. Link, so I know everyone is like, how do I sign up? Hopefully after listening to this. Right. We so we'll publish the that link for the show notes. So everyone can see that. Um, I'm going to say, so on top of Lisa and Ryan, we're just going to keep giving other pitches is that if you decide to volunteer in any way, shape or form, Ellen and I are both chairs of committees. Um, I can tell you that every one of you will have a state captain and you will be taken very great care of. I will personally guarantee that you'll be taken well care of. Um, <laughs> and so yep. we are, uh, I'm all of us here are very passionate and 
Lisa and Ryan, we so, so appreciate you being here, sharing yourself, sharing your time, and of course, sharing all your time with Resolve, quite honestly, because that is I, such an amazing thing that you do. Thank you, you guys. Um, first of all, thank you for having these conversations. Thank you for having us on to talk about Advocacy Day and about, you know, all, all the, the specifics that we may have sort of danced around, you know, which is uh, getting coverage for every American um, uh, at work um, through their employers for infertility, um, removing barriers for family building for not just our military, but also our veterans. Um, and I, um, I'm, I'm honored to be on here. I just want to close by saying that um, a lot of this may seem daunting. Um, this is is an enormous challenge, and that's not lost on um, Lisa, myself, the two of you, anyone else who has raised their hand to be an advocate um, for the infertility community. Um, and I always think about um, infertility, and I, you know, Lindsay and I um, said this to each other over and over again that infertility would not define us, um, and the support of a larger community like this one, if you want that, can help you get through it. Um, and when we get through it as a community, I can promise you there is going to be a much greater reward on the other side of this. I've, that's the way I keep thinking about advocacy day. I know that there's a life cycle to this type of legislation. We're going to get there. The longer we chip away at lawmakers and, um, um, I just feel like the runway gets shorter and the distance and uh, the closer we get to realizing that insurance should cover infertility like the disease that it is. And we're going to see an expansion of access to reproductive care and not the other way around. Um, I'll, I'll close by saying this. I really do believe that we are a lot closer than it may seem. Um, and I have a lot of hope for the very near future of pro-family legislation that we're advocating for. So thank you again for having us. It's been a, a, um, a real honor to be here and, and to share this message with especially the two of you. Here, here. And I, I will just tag on to that and say thank you for what you're doing, Jen and Ellen. And I really love having a co-chair that has that enthusiasm and that optimism. I, I And I agree with it, right? That That as much as we can point to that is going on, that is so challenging to hear and to see. There's a lot of really good stuff happening. And this is one of those things. So thank you, Ellen and Jen, because this conversation is so important and you're facilitating it and the work that you're doing. I'm going to thank you in advance for everything you're doing <laughs> for Advocacy Day, because it's incredible and we appreciate you so much. Aww, we, all the mutual love. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan and Lisa. We are absolutely awed and inspired by all that you do to help the world be a better place, to help growing families on top of your day jobs and everything else you have to right? do in life. This huge <laughs> lift you guys take on. It's amazing. Yes. I, I think we probably have talked to them for like another hour at least, most likely. <laughs> so, and the number so one, but the takeaway, if you have not yet registered for Advocacy Day, we will make sure we include the link on um, the show notes. Yes. But if you if you don't see it there, just you know Google Resolve Advocacy Day and you can find where to sign up for um, Advocacy Day, which is in April this year and you know the more the better and it's such an empowering and an amazing experience to do it so we, we highly 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 encourage you to do that yes we would love to see people and hear your experiences afterwards uh especially because like you know you can send us emails right this is my shameless plug always to for people to call in or send us messages uh again this whole thing at the beginning we talked about we got a message from somebody who was concerned that we hadn't put a podcast out in a while so you can also call you don't have to be concerned. You can just call <laughs> randomly. Uh, it's 303-997-1903. We really do love to get calls. It's really exciting for us. So please call, reach out to us. Or if you are part of Advocacy Day, you might actually uh, interact with one of us. How fun would that be? So <laughs> join us, please. Uh, huge thank you, of course. I mean, besides to Ryan and Lisa for their time and for all that they do for Resolve and Advocacy Day, but a huge thanks to our team, to Amanda, to Tyler, to Melissa, to everybody who works so hard to bring this podcast out to you all. So thank you to them and thank you to you for listening. <laughs>